for another day. We thank you for another time to be able to come together to glorify you, to magnify your name. You say, where two or three of us are gathered together, there you are in the midst. And so, Father God, tonight we thank you for your presence that's among us. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you, Lord God, for our time. We bless you. We honor you now and forever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So please take your seats. Praise God. Wow. Amen. Uh, tonight I am going to uh, introduce a subject that we're going to be addressing for the rest of the month. And uh, more than likely, this session tonight will be repeated next Wednesday because I did not get a chance to give preparation and to give notice to everybody else about what we're doing. I was not here on Sunday. Uh, but I'm looking for some exciting time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we want to start speaking tonight. We're going to lay the foundation tonight for a uh, subject matter that we're going to deal with every Wednesday night for the entire month of October on the process of sanctification. But more than likely on Sunday, I'm going to find a, 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 a better way of saying it to make it more attractive. <laughs> but the bottom line for you guys that are here tonight is it's going to be about sanctification. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's the message in a nutshell. Um, <clears throat> the book of Romans is uh, a very, very... Uh, powerful book of all scriptures. Uh, this is the book in which Apostle Paul helps us to understand our salvation and the process of perfecting us and bringing us into the fullness of who, God, who Christ is. And so, <clears throat> we've been speaking for a while here in the church about grace. And definitely we believe in grace. We thank God for his grace and we thank God for uh, uh, grace uh, bringing us, bring us into a new place, a new realm. But I think it's just as important though to recognize that First Peter says that not only, or rather Ephesians 2, 8 says not only that we're saved by grace or through grace, but in First Peter the Bible talks about how we grow also in grace. So we must always be reminded that we are not just saved and that being saved in itself is not a destination. This is, this is, this is very, very important. Uh, it is so easy uh, to camp at our salvation as the end in itself. Whereas, when we understand the word of God and the plan of God, as we'll see in scriptures, salvation is in fact the beginning to bring us into the fullness of what God has for us. So we need to be very careful to, to understand that. And so for weeks now, we've been talking about grace and in particular justification. Uh, Dr. Hamby was here the other week and you know, beautifully laid out grace for us. And on that Saturday, gave us a picture of what justification is all about, even though we've been talking about it. So tonight, I just want to begin to introduce what sanctification is and its relationship to justification. At the first five chapters of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 5, Paul beautifully, very powerfully establishes and talks about the justification of the believer. Or, in other words, he addresses in the first five chapters the penalty of sin and how God dealt with that. 
And then in chapters 6, 7, and 8, which we're going to be looking at all through October, it begins to address a very important issue that confronts you and I every day. As a born-again believer, you have been justified. The penalty for sins were paid for. Jesus paid in full, satisfied in full, God's penalty for sin. However, we are living in an ever-present wicked and evil world whereby we are still confronted on a daily basis with the power of sin. So, the penalty is dealt with. And also the power of sin has been addressed. But for many believers, we have not really fully understood how to handle that. So, what happens is, even though the penalty has been addressed and paid for, we are constantly finding ourselves in the struggle on how to overcome the power of sin in our life. That is what sanctification addresses. Have I lost anybody? Yes, <laughs> not yet. Praise God. Hopefully, I won't lose you. So, first five chapters, Paul addresses our justification. Chapter six, seven, and eight addresses our sanctification. So, let's let's begin to look at that for a minute now. All right. In in the first five chapters, we have righteousness imputed into us as believers. In the next three chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to read it now in a minute, we have righteousness uh, not just imputed to us, but progressively being worked out of us. So in one case, it's imputed. It's a deposit. Bang. Positionally, you're righteous. But in sanctification now, you and, have the, you and I have the opportunity of living out in a practical sense that which was imputed at your redemption. Are you following me? Now, Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read this this evening from the HCSB translation. Uh, Let me just, um, in verse 1, it says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Now, why did he start this chapter with with this verse 1 with this question because remember the scriptures the bibles the entire book of romans is like one letter mine came in and broke into chapters to make it easier for us to read so really romans chapter 6 verse 1 is a continuation of what he was saying in chapter 5 in verse 20 let me just read that to to give us good context of where we're going romans chapter 5 in verse 20 moreover the law entered that the offense might abound But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So the question is, if when sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So people are saying, well, if that's the case, let's just sin some more so we have more grace. So that's the question it's asking. Should we continue to sin or should we multiply sin so that we can see more grace? Of course. I mean, (laughs) that's right. Of course, the answer is no. Let me just take a moment here to help us. And again, like I said, I'm I'm going to repeat some of these things next week. It is very important for all of us to recognize that God hates sin. And the fact that sin has 
consequences. I know most of us know that, but it's important for us to really understand that and really believe that. And not only that, uh, allow that to help us to understand why it is so important for me and you to learn how to overcome this power of sin in our lives. Yes, when a man sins, God forgives them. But even the scripture bears it out of the severe consequences that sin carries. Let me give, let me give an example that all of us can, can understand. David was a man of God, loved by God, loves God, psalmist of Israel, warrior, and on and on, anointed. It goes on and on and on. So what did he do? He sinned with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, I believe it is, the man of God went and confronted him, Nathan, and immediately, David did not rationalize his sin. I have sinned before God, he said, confessed it, and the prophet said to him, God has taken your sin away from you. Meaning, the moment he owned up, God forgave him. Is that correct? So let's, let's go there. Because I think it's important. Second Samuel. Chapter 12. Um, let, let, let's just, wow, I didn't know, realize how much verses are involved in here. Let's just start from verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Okay? Now, therefore, the sword shall, not, shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Now, from looking at the passage, did God forgive him? Absolutely. Absolutely. God forgave him. But everything the prophet said about adversity, the child dying, all of those things were not taken back. Why? Because sin has consequences. The child died. And for you and I, it may not be a child. It could be health that's dying. It could be business that's dying. 
It could be relationship that's dying. And on and on and on it goes. The point here is, we need to understand that even though we are living under a dispensation of grace, where God freely forgives us, loves us unconditionally, and his love never diminishes, it is important that we must still let people know sin carries consequence. He forgives it. The penalty is taken care of. But the consequence, David lived with it. And so you and I will also have to live with it if we violate the word of God. And uh, so, back to Romans chapter 6 now. I'm back in the uh, HCSB translation. I just want to read the entire chapter 6, and then we're going to come back and uh, do some groundwork here. <clears throat> so, sufficiently we understand now, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. And why is he saying absolutely not? Well, I don't want to start teaching you. Let's just read first. But I, I just like this translation. Uh, absolutely not. Now, like I think Doug said, and somebody has said, that in fact when they sin, there's grace. There's grace there. To, it, that in itself is true. But the reason for me and you as believers that it's absolutely not is because of the argument that Paul is laying down now. Because the truth is, in places where there's serious darkness, serious wickedness, that's why you hear about the kinds of signs and wonders and things that happen because God's grace is released in this powerful way to witness to who he is. But should that make me and you live in sin and continue to do evil and wickedness? Absolutely not. Because if we are truly born again, there are some things that God has built within you and I that make sure that we won't do that. That's why Paul is saying, absolutely not. And now he begins to lay the argument. How can we, who died to sin, and you can see it on, your, on the overhead, this translation, how can we, who died to sin, still live in it? How is that possible? Or, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished. So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not, let, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But, uh, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer your li- yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that, of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the wickedness, I mean rather, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves to slaves to, as slaves to, to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification. That's our subject, sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you are free from allegiance to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have, so you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So again here, in chapter 6, Paul lays down the argument. The argument why sin should not be attractive to any believer. The argument why, as a believer, who is filled with the Spirit of God, I can say no to sin. Now, I'm going to come back to chapter 6. In chapter 7, it tries to establish for you and I the futility of you trying to do it on your own. The futility of you thinking, oh, wow, I don't like to drink alcohol, so I'm going to have a resolution. I won't drink it. But in that chapter 7, it shows you how, through human effort, the very things you don't like to do, the things you don't want to do, you th- the things you know that are bad not to do, they are the things you do. It's trying to show you, listen, chapter 6, God has taken care of it. Chapter 7, if you try to do it on your own, you will fail. Then chapter 8, it shows you how, through the love of God and the grace of God, you can, you can walk in this. Okay? Now, let's go back now to chapter 6 and begin to look at it. And again, like I said, next Wednesday, I'm going to come back because I, I want most of us to get it. I want to advertise this and, let, and make sure that most of us get it. Because this is key. We're delivered from the penalty of sin, but there's a revolving door among believers where we just continued in this vicious life, life cycle of not having victory because we are trying to do it based on resolutions and based on my determinations and we are absolutely frustrated. You can do it. Okay. So, I wanted to read that entire passage so we can, we can see what God says about it. So, sanctification, the process. How do you define sanctification? First of all, there are several words in the scriptures that are synonymous 
with sanctification. Sometimes it's called separated or separate. Sometimes it could be called or used to, to uh, it, be, it, could be, it could be called a dedication or dedicated thing, separated thing, dedicated thing, or consecrated, consecrated, and also being set apart. Being set apart, being separated, being consecrated, or being dedicated. All of those words interchangeably in the scriptures are used to describe one and the same thing. Okay? Now, having said that, it is also important for us to understand that this is not a single act. It is not a once-a-time single act. This is where sanctification should be distinguished apart from justification. In justification, it's an instant one act. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, bang, it's done instantly. Sanctification, however, is a process that begins from your justification or from your redemption or from your salvation and it goes on until when you see Jesus. Did you hear that? We're in this class for a long haul. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Usain Bolt cannot help you in this one. <laughs> this is not a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon. Amen? It is a continuous process that takes an entire life span. Okay? Let me give you a definition here. It is a, well, not, this is not a definition, but this, this, is a, this is an observation on sanctification. It is a sovereign act of God whereby God sets apart a person, a place, or an object for himself in order that he, that is God, might accomplish his purpose in the world by means of that person, place, or object. I'm going to say that, say that again. Sanctification, sanctification itself is a sovereign act of God, whereby God sets apart a, a person, a place, or an object for himself in order that he, God, might accomplish his purpose in the world by means of that person, place, or object. Now, the reason I read this to you is because it is very important for us in order to really get a good grip of what sanctification is. I want us to see the various other ways in which it has been used to give us an idea of what God has in mind when he throws these things at us. Okay? The first place is in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, in verse 3, Genesis 2, 3, the Bible says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So right there, you see that God sanctified a day. I'm going to make a comment. Let me just give you these scriptures and I'm going to come back and make a comment. So that's number one. Secondly, in Exodus 29. Exodus 29. In verse 44. 
Exodus 29, 44. Bible says, so I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. So in this passage now here, it's using the other term. It's using consecrate, but that means the same thing, sanctify. Okay, so here we see the building and its contents being set apart or being consecrated or being sanctified. Okay, let's look at Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus 27 in verse 14. Leviticus 27, 14. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it. So again, instead of sanctify or consecrate, it uses the other word dedicate. But in this case, it's a house that has been dedicated. So we see a day is being sanctified. We see a building or its contents can be sanctified. Now in this passage, we see a house in which a man lives can be sanctified. Now let's go back to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. In verse 23. Oh, verse... Oh, yeah, yeah. Exodus 19, verse 23. Okay. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come, come up to Mount Sinai, for you want the saints set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. This is the point I'm making. We've looked at four scriptures, or four passages. One, a day was sanctified. Second one, a building and the contents were sanctified. Third one, a house was sanctified. Fourth one, a mountain was sanctified. In all these above passages, the meaning of the word sanctify is to set apart. The day, the mountain, the house, the building cannot sin. Are you following what I'm saying? So when God says, I sanctify a day, is he sanctifying the day so, the day so that the day does not sin? Or a building? Or a house? Or a mountain? So the thought conveyed in these passages is very, very important. Now, yes, sanctification involves me and you living a lifestyle of victory over sin. Absolutely. But from God's perspective, we need to understand the intent and the purpose for our redemption to even begin with. A day cannot sin, a mountain cannot sin, a house cannot sin, and the building cannot sin. But yet God says, set those things apart. Set them apart for me. Because I have a purpose for the day. I have a purpose for the house. I have a purpose for the building. I have a purpose for the mountain. I want those things dedicated for me. Are you following what I'm saying? Yes, now, let's come to the New Testament. Uh, before I get there, before I get there, let, 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 let's look at um, Isaiah chapter 66. So we can get a proper understanding of the use of this word. Isaiah 66, verse 17. 
Isaiah 66, 17. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination of the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Oh. <laughs> so not only do we see day, mountain, house, building set apart from God. God is also telling us here, there are those who have set themselves apart for evil. Listen what sanctify. Come on, guys. Right now, today, we have those people. ISIL or ISIS. They are sanctified for evil. Boko Haram. Sanctified for evil. Their intent and purpose is to destroy other people who does not think like they think. Hitler, sanctified for evil. Thank you very much. I'm throwing this out because you need to understand how God is thinking about you and his plan and purpose for us. Because once you understand the purpose for something, you have greater respect for it. Are you following me so far? There are people who are sanctified, set apart, dedicated for nothing but evil. Now, ah, Greg is on, Greg, Greg, you're, ah, you give me five dollars. <laughs> John chapter 17. <laughs> it's because once we understand certain things about a subject matter, it helps us to walk in it. If I just come to you and say you need to be holy, and I don't give the context of holiness, and you don't understand the context, then you struggle with it. But once you understand the rich background and the context within which, within which God is saying to do some certain things, it helps you to, to walk in it a whole lot. John chapter 17. John 17, verse 19. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is Jesus speaking. This is a person who was sinlessly perfect. Without sin. Yes, he's saying to you and I that I sanctify myself. So what does that mean? So that confirms what we've been saying from the very beginning about the context and meaning of the word sanctification. He's saying, I set myself apart. I have choices. I can do this or that. But you know what? I recognize the call upon my life. I recognize my mission in life. And therefore, I sanctify. I dedicate myself. I separate myself for my mission, for my purpose, for the cause which I came. Because the truth is, once we recognize that, and, 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 and seek to live by that dedication. Yes. Just by that itself, you avoid a lot of sins. Yes. Because the choice is so clear. It is so clear. When I understand that, hey, listen, God has called me. He has sanctified me. Yes. And he's called me. And I'm not talking about calling to preach. That's not what I'm saying. 
called me out as his ecclesia, as his church. I'm a called out one, called me out of darkness to bring me into his marvelous life. Once I recognize that, that he's setting me apart to now use me as a display to show forth his glory to the rest of darkness. My goodness. That in itself is empowering. If I didn't hear any other scripture, it'd be ridiculous to see a Ford motor driving on the ocean. If you saw one, you say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Or to find a ship, an ocean ship, driving on I-85. You're not going to find it. Why? They are dedicated to do the things they do. And they understand it and they don't violate it. A man made those things. So God wants you to know, sovereignly, sovereignly, before you are even born, he has sanctified you. In his foreknowledge and election, saw you, saw your choices, and had a plan and a purpose for you, and sanctified you for it. So what we are talking about tonight did not just happen in 2014. You had been set apart long before you got here. Let, 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 let's, let's go to the scripture and find it. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 4. Jeremiah 1 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before you were born. I mean, this, this, is, this is just absolutely mind-blowing to know that even before we were formed in a womb, before we were born, God's stamp was already on, that, on our lives. Sanctified. Meaning, I set you apart. Dedicate you. Consecrate you for my holy purpose. Yeah. That's God's plan. L- let me read the scripture from 1 Peter. Chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And then First Peter. In verse 2. Wow. Yeah. First Peter 1 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we see here the foreknowledge, the election according to the foreknowledge of God in our sanctification process. So the first thing I want us to see there is 
all the three members of the Trinity are involved in our sanctification. The Father thought of it, saw it ahead. It's election for knowledge. Jesus died for it. His blood was sprinkled. And his spirit makes it real. All three active in our sanctification. Now, usually when we hear the word election or foreknowledge, people start thinking, does that mean God has chosen some people to go to hell and all of that stuff? No, 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 no. <laughs> the election and foreknowledge of God is much more than just a matter of choice of what a man will do at a future time. It's more than that. The divine knowledge is not limited to the mere foresight of what men will do at a future time. No. This is what it is. It is God's foresight and choice linked together with his plan and purpose for a person's life. His plan and purpose intersects his foresight and my choice. Okay? So, both, all of the Trinity is involved when it comes to our sanctification. Now, I, I want to shut it down here now because I don't, want to, I don't want to get into new material. The point I want to make tonight is I want us to understand the context of sanctification. Yes, it allows you and I to live victorious life over the power of sin. However, we also need to understand that we, because we are sanctified by faith through the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we now need to begin to see ourselves, who am I? What has God really wrought? What has he done? Yes, he delivered me from the, power of, from the penalty of sin. But we limit the cross to just that. It's more than that. It's not only paying a, the price for the penalty that he did through the shedding of his blood. But what happened when his body was broken? Which also happened at the cross. How do we sin? What instruments do we sin with? Our body. Our body. Our body. If I'm going to shoot somebody, I'm going to have to use my hand to shoot it. If I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to have to use my mouth to drink it. So our body is the instrument that the enemy uses to violate God. So now you can appreciate why Jesus' body was broken. That's why in communion you have the blood and the bread. The blood satisfies the penalty for sin. The broken body satisfies the power over sin. And again, I don't want to go into all of the thing tonight because uh, uh, I want us to take it slow and easy. But when you listen to Paul's argument in Romans chapter 6, say, when the, when you, the body is dead. You're free from sin. Have you ever seen a man lying in a corpse that sin? If a man was cursing like a crazy sailor in his lifestyle, when he dies, he can't curse any longer. He's dead. He's dead. We're going to be getting into more of that 
next, uh, next, next time to help us see how these things come together. But the truth of the matter is, if you truly believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins and paid the price for the penalty of sins, then we need to trust God to have the faith to believe that not only did he do that, he also gave us victory over the power of sin. All in one transaction. And because he now lives, we have the power, Romans chapter 8, to live a new life through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is real. And God will help us to get there where we can not only appreciate this, but appropriate it and have the application working out in our lives. Any questions? Or comments? Do we understand what I was trying to say tonight? Do you understand the context of the fact that the building cannot sin? Come on, guys. You know, some things are so easy that we... It's, it's easy for us to think of traditional church and we will not do certain things in this sanctuary. Why will, why will we not do those things? Wait a minute. Why will we not do certain things in the sanctuary? <laughs> it's holy. It's a holy place. <laughs> so so um, because, it, because we believe it's holy, no, it's, it's, it's easy for us to understand certain things. You just don't do it. Isn't that amazing? But we don't think of ourselves. We don't think of ourselves like that. It's very interesting. Nobody. I mean, I've never seen anybody in the five years we've been here for to bring a steak and potatoes and just sit down here and start eating doing service. There's no, no nobody's ever made an announcement. You can't do that. And yet, I've never seen anybody do it because somehow we get the message. Or the idea that the sanctuary is a holy place, and so we refrain from doing certain things because of that. But when you look at yourself, you don't see yourself as holy. (laughs) So anything goes. (laughs) Now, isn't that amazing? How what we believe about a thing changes our behavior in and through that thing. Sir? Yes. Uh, So, in other words, uh, sanctification is both instant as well as progressive. Absolutely. Yes. Because God sets us apart at the moment of us. Correct. Correct. And then, Positionally. Absolutely. Positionally. And then we now begin to live out what we are. All in the inside. Through. What we have in the inside begins to now show itself. And on yes. the outside. Correct. Absolutely. And that is where we now make the choices. Correct. In obedience. Correct. As Absolutely. Holy, as the Holy Spirit helps us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, Judith. And we're going to get to all of those things. Uh, yeah, but it's, that's, that's correct. I have a question. Somebody asked um, this question this evening. What's the difference between the body, the soul, and the spirit? The body, the, the soul, soul, and spirit. And the spirit. How do you differentiate soul and body, especially? The spirit is kind of. Obvious, but soul and body, how do you differentiate those? That's very good. I'm going to let Doc answer that question because we're talking about that this, this evening. That is very, very interesting. Was she in on the conversation? No, she wasn't. Was, were you? Was this part? <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. The, the uh, spirit is, is the, you know, for want of a better word, is the instrument that God has given us to relate with him. 
Yes. So we relate with God through our spirit. The, the, the soul is our personality. And the soul is given to us so that we can relate with others. There are three faculties in the soul. The mind, the will, and the emotion. Emotion, correct. Then the body is the instrument that God gives us to live in this environment. And, uh, you know, God has given us the five senses in our body, the sense of touch, the sense of uh, sound, the sense of uh, taste, smell, so that we can live in this environment. So that is the purpose of the body. Different from the soul, different from the spirit. What, what, uh, what I hear you saying that you did not say, Judith, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you want, among those three distinctions, the spirit, soul, and body, did you want to know what the flesh is? When the Bible talks about the flesh, what, what is he saying? <laughs> the, the, you know, the word flesh has so many uh, usage Correct. in the Bible. Uh, of course, the flesh also refers to the body. But in Romans, in the book of Romans, the flesh purely refers to your ways of living apart from God. Your ways of living uh, apart from God. Sometimes we go to him, but basically we live, we try to use our own resources, our intellect, our beauty, our whatever resources we have to get our needs met apart from God. Okay. It's not an entity. Wow. Well, we really threw something out there that's, that's, that we may need to come back to in a minute. Let, let me, let me, Mrs. Abigail, let me, let me, Mrs. Okay. Mommy, let me. We may need to come back to that or that. Yes. Yeah. Can we say the flesh yes. is a carnal nature? Yes. Yeah. But what is carnal nature? I, I hear you. I, but for the sake of everybody's understanding, where they can take it away and say, kinda, what would that be? Put the mic. Be, the way we behave, uh, talk is a way of life, or the way we think. Yes. Apart from God, right? Yes, apart from God. God. Yeah. Because you can think like God, so that will not be carnal. Yeah. That will be carnal. Yes. But carnal uh, doesn't mean it's bad altogether. You know, it can, you can be carnal, but not. Uh, it doesn't have a bad sense sometimes. It does, though. I, I don't say I don't say anything Canada does not have a bad sense. But I think I know what you're trying to say. I, I think what you're trying to say is, and this is really when we get into this discussion fully. Time is almost gone now. It's interesting that Paul addresses the Corinthian church and calls them Canada. But that same Paul calls them sanctified, called saints. So, so the point I'm hearing you make that you did not say is that the fact that a person is carnal does not nullify their justification. That's the point. That's really what confuses a lot of people. Because Paul addresses the Corinthian church that had all kinds of madness in it. If, if a church today in Lawrenceville or Buford did what Corinthians church did, we would just pack it and put them on the ground to hell straight away. 
Paul corrected them, addressed them, and yet, in his letters to them, called them saints. Even though they were carnal. Carnality was, you know, uh, so, yeah, carnal is not good. The Bible calls it enmity against God. So, for that reason, we cannot say it is good at all. Yes, but, yes, this is going to be a deep one. Greg, make it easy, man. In, in the sanctification, uh, it's a progressive, sanctification is progressive, and we are taking advantage of it uh, because we, we study it. Somebody is telling us about it. Mm -hmm. uh, we are correcting as we go. Okay. If somebody didn't tell me certain things, I won't be deep into it, which will help my myself what about the people who don't have this opportunity uh, to have things like this in their lives people who are in darkness in in some physical darkness and so on how will they benefit from sanctification the holy spirit that's why you cannot you cannot leave it out apart from the spirit of god they can't. That's why they have to first be justified and then receive the imputation of sanctification at new birth and progressively leave it out. So we don't they have to be born again. So we don't need this class. What do you mean? I mean, if everybody can experience it through the Holy Spirit, yes. then <laughs> this class obviously will will meet everybody at some point, whether it was taught or not. Because I feel like me being here is putting me in a different pedestal. It's, it's helping it's, you. Yes, it's helping me. It's getting me there. Yes. You know? Yes. Those people who don't have this opportunity and just rely on the Holy Spirit. I mean... Okay, let, let, let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit is more than adequate. To the glory of God. Absolutely. Okay. But for those of us that have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit and instruction or further clarification, then, you know, it's, yeah, but the Holy Spirit can more than make up for, for, for people's lack. I think the real concern is people that are not born again, then for those guys, it's a totally different situation. But a person that's born again, the Holy Spirit can teach you. Because the point is, you hear, he's talking to you. Now, as we get more into the teaching, you understand that sanctification comes through various ways, and one of them is the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. There's no getting around that. Uh, John 17, verse 18, Jesus said, sanctify them, sanctify me by their truth. No, sanctify them by their, by their word. Their word is true. So sanctification, one of the key elements in it, you have to know the word. Because when the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and leading, it leads you through what? The word of God. So if you are not familiar with the word of God, even though you're hearing the voice of God, you may do things that are contrary because you're saying, no, this cannot be true. Let me give you a wild, wild example. This is just wild. A man likes a woman, and the woman is responding to him. And the Holy Spirit says, don't touch that woman. The woman is somebody else's wife or whatever. I said, what are you talking about? Am I blind? Can't you see this woman? The woman likes me. So if you don't know God and understand that certain things are a violation of his word, then you, you, know, you, you know, you are on a wild goose chase. So the Holy Spirit is very, very key. That's what I'm trying to say to you. 
and there's nothing, there's no getting around knowing the word of God. That's why Paul talk, uh, Peter talks about us, newborn babes. We desire the sincere make of the word of God. Yes. That we may what? Grow thereby. Yes. You can't get around it. When we get into the teachings later in the month, that's one of the key elements, the word. And that's what people need to read the Bible. Study the Bible. Oh, yeah. Last one, Judith. I'm sorry, I think I lost you when you were talking about the flesh. Did you say the flesh is a body or not? Oh. She, we lost her when we're talking about the flesh. Uh, she, she wants the answer. Is the flesh the body or not? And also, where the Bible says the soul that sins shall die, isn't it talking about the man, soul. flesh? Man. Individual. In that sense, the soul so, that sins shall die. It's talking about the person. Okay, so flesh is not body. Did you understand that? The flesh in the scriptures is used to describe the body. Okay? However, specifically in Romans chapter 8, is it chapter 6 as well? From, from S- five through, yeah. Eight. Yeah. Yes. It's used to describe the way of life. The way of life, I will have to say the way of life apart from God. Apart from God yes. yes. The way of the life way of apart life. from God. The old man. Old mind, the flesh, yes, all of those are in the same category. Yeah. Pastor Shona, you have something? <laughs> yes. If you eat my body. Yeah. And some other. John chapter 6. Yes. You eat my flesh. Mm-hmm. So flesh. And body, yeah, that's, yeah. Flesh and body, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yes. Diane, last one. involves um, the old man and, and those deeds. So it really involves our body and our soul because it involves our mind and our will and all of that. So we have to submit our will and our, our souls, our bodies, everything to, to God. Yeah. Because that old man is always trying to kick up and yeah. resurrect himself. Yeah. Okay. Father, we just want to thank you tonight. We bless you. We appreciate the work that you began in us, that you're actively working in and through us to glorify you. Thank you, Lord God, for helping us to understand that you've set us apart, dedicated us for your holy purpose. And so, Lord, we carry ourselves with that understanding that we are set apart for the holy use of God. And so, Lord, we thank you tonight, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us, through us. It is you that's at work in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So we thank you, we bless you, and we thank you for joining us as we go home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Spread the word. All through this month, we're going to be talking about this subject.